You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Today's passage is typically longer. It's a popular passage. You're maybe used to it if you grew up in church. One about a rich ruler coming to Jesus and saying, what do I need to do to get into heaven? We're going to truncate it. We're just going to focus on the passage that everybody skips. It's on a theme that maybe you'll recognize from today. So a ruler comes up to Jesus and he asked him, good teacher, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We're going to pause right there. That's our, that's our passage today. Now, if you're like me, that passage maybe catches you off guard because we're singing worship songs all morning about God's goodness. And of course, we know Jesus is God in flesh. And therefore, we assume if God is good, then Jesus must be good too. And we come across this passage where Jesus looks at this guy and says, what? Why do you call me good? You know that only God is good. And commentators have a lot of questions about this passage. Nobody really reaches like a full consensus where they're all like, this is the way that we deal with this. Most of them are not willing to go the route where they're like, well, maybe Jesus sends somewhere. Because we know that that's not true. The Bible tells us that Jesus was sinless. But at the same time, we're like, why would Jesus have this like statement back? In fact, this is one of the ways that like... Um, one commentator says, like, Jesus must have certainly said this because none of his disciples would have written this in just out of their own, own mind. Um, why does Jesus stop and say this statement? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And when Jesus states that, he's, he's quoting a whole bunch of Old Testament passages. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I mean, the Old Testament is full of passages about God's goodness. And Jesus pauses for a moment to help us recognize this important fact. Only God is good. So when this guy comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, why does Jesus come back and say what he says to him? I, I don't fully know what the answer would be, but I am apt to agree with uh, those who would tend to say um, that Jesus is, in a sense, kind of backwards, um, saying, like, that he is God in this passage. Like, only God is good. Why are you calling me good? Are you saying I'm God? Wink, wink, you know, that kind of thing. Because we see the Bible do this sometimes. For example, um, you have the, the politicians at one point are going to come up to Jesus and be like, are you the son of God? And Jesus is going to say, what? You have said so. <laughs> In other words, out of, your own, out of your own mouth has come that answer. I think he's, personally, I think he's doing something similar here. Good, why are you calling me good? That, that term belongs only with God, why would you put that on me? Are you saying something, wink, wink, that I am God? The Bible writers in the Gospels, especially John, like to do that all the time. 
But there's maybe another level that uh, um, this uh, uh, rich young ruler can hear that in. When he comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, um, I think there's a, a good chance here that Jesus is also saying, oh, you're going to take one of the titles of God and put that on me. Are you sure you want to do that? Because if you're recognizing me and God on the same level, you're going to have to listen to my answer. And the rich young ruler does not care for the answer that Jesus gives. Jesus tells him the kinds of things you need to do to get into heaven. You've got to love people. You've got to follow the commandments, things like that. And he says, well, yeah, I've done all those things. To which Jesus goes on to say, well, then sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Oh, I don't know about that one. Okay, well, you recognized me as good. Therefore, you were recognizing whatever I was going to say was something you were going to have to listen to if what I was going to say was going to be of God. To kind of paraphrase what Calvin once said on this, if you're going to use that title on me, you better recognize the implications for you. And how often do we do that in our own lives, right? Where we come before God and we say, we just want you to speak. We just want to hear your voice. We'll do whatever you tell us to do. Would you just tell us to do something? And then he says, and we're like, well, okay, but not that. Tell us something else. <laughs> you are God. You are holy. I want to follow everything that you say. But not that. But not that. But when we step into what God is doing, we are stepping into his goodness, into his good plan. See, everything that God created is good. The Bible tells us that. So it's not just trying to say, like, only God is good and there's no other goodness in the world. That's the kind of thing that Christians tend to teach a lot of times, that you're just a miserable worm, you're a piece of dirt, you're never going to get it right, you're full of sin and you will sin all of your days. I don't think that's the gospel message, but that's what a lot of people hear from Christianity. But the Bible actually tells us that you were designed good. It's just that there's some flaws. So if you're looking for actual goodness and its fullness and its completeness exactly as it should be, then you are looking for God himself. And when God puts on skin, he looks like Jesus. Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. And that's why it is so important to focus on Jesus. There's 66 books in your Bible. And sometimes you can tell what books Christians have been focusing on. When they come very warlike and militantish, you can tell that they've found themselves a lot in the Old Testament. When they're focused on weird ways in which the world is going to end and all these other kinds of things, you can tell the way that they interpret Revelation. But occasionally you come across people that turn the other cheek. Occasionally you come across people that go the extra mile. Occasionally you come across people who love their enemies. And when you see those kinds of fruits, you're like, I think they spend a lot more time in the Gospels. I think they spend a lot more time trying to understand Scripture through the understanding of God's goodness in Jesus. Because Jesus put on the good body that we all have. God made you good. God made Jesus good, but Jesus did something that none of us else were able to do. He, he abstained from sin. He lived a perfect life. And by doing so, he showed us what God's goodness, what human goodness looks like in its full capacity. 
That's why the Bible calls Jesus the image of God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what his goodness is like, then you need to look at the good teacher who is Jesus. This is a struggle for so many people. I have worked with church leaders. I have taken on prominent positions in churches. And after they have served God in this capacity for a little bit, I've come across them just saying, like, I'm out. I, I can't do this. And when I come to ask, like, why is that? Like, what, what's throwing you off? It ends up that it's, I don't, I don't believe in God's goodness. I've come across some people that, like, they don't even disagree that God exists. They just don't like him. Because they look at the things that are happening either in their life or around the world, and they assume that God must be bad. God must be evil. God must not care about them. God is good. He can't be anything else. He can't do anything else. He is the designer of goodness, and all things good have their place in him. He is the God of life, not the God of death. That's Satan. The Lord of death is more of a title that belongs with Beelzebub, with Satan, with the underworld. The God of life is, is Yahweh himself, who is good and gives all good gifts to his children. And if your parents who can't get things right still know how to give good gifts to their children, just imagine how much better the good God of the universe must be able to give good gifts to his children. If we in our brokenness still know how to do good things, imagine just how much gooder, I knew I was going to use that word at some point today, how much gooder God must be. I'm going to write that song. That's going to be the next worship song. Gooder God than me. Thank you. Thank you very much. You look at God's goodness throughout the scriptures and in spots where it's like, wow, God cares way more than we do. Take Nineveh, take Nineveh for example, right? You've got Jonah, who's a prophet, who knows God's voice, who knows that he's compassionate and loving and kind and all these kinds of things. And he wants to... He wants to uh, uh, not do what God is calling him to because he knows if he calls Nineveh to repent and they repent, God will save them. And Jonah wants to see Nineveh burn. It's the opposite of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, I've heard stories about this place. We're going to go check it out. I'm about to send some angels down to report back about what they see. And Abraham kind of uh, argues with God like well if you find some righteous people there you're not going to do anything though right like Abraham is challenging God's goodness like you're, you're a good God far be it from you to to accidentally wipe out some righteous people and God's like yeah I see what you're doing you're right in that story you have humanity arguing with God don't wipe them out Jonah's the opposite story Jonah's like you gotta wipe them out I don't like them and God's response to them is like, have, have you even thought about this, Jonah? Do you know there's like 12,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left? They're kids. They're babies. They're innocent. You realize if I wipe out Nineveh, like the innocent people are going to be wiped out too? Have you taken into account the kinds of things that I take into account? Do you think I like taking places out like this? I understand Nineveh is evil. It's been doing horrible things. When we look at the records of the kinds of things that Nineveh was involved in, it's clear that their culture evolved into a very, very dark place. 
But God is compassionate and full of loving kindness. He's raised up Nineveh from its infancy. And though they have gone the wrong way, he still doesn't want to bring about that kind of judgment. He is slow to anger. He is patient. He is gentle. He is kind. He is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. And he's all those things to you. He is good. He does not know how to be different. And when you see something that seems different, it may be your perspective that is lost. Because he can't be ungood. And that's hard for us. And it's okay if you want to challenge him when you're like, I, I, don't, I don't understand why this just happened, God. Aren't, aren't you good? It's okay to challenge. The Bible has those moments. That's what Abraham does. God, I don't understand what's happening here. Aren't you good? That's what Job does. God, I don't understand what's happening here. So much bad stuff is happening all around me. It makes no sense. Have I not been righteous? Have I not lived the right life? Have I not followed all of your laws to the, to the T? Like, why is this happening? And God vindicates Job. Yeah, he's right. God doesn't go into great detail about it. He's just like, yeah, he's right. God wants his goodness to stick with us, to be communicated to us. God, God wants to protect your mind from the thoughts that he's not good. I've seen this while I've been doing deliverance before. So as I've said many times here, when I do deliverance, I take people into a, a meditative place in their minds to imagine alongside of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit likes to communicate all kinds of visual imagery. This is, I think you see it happening in the Bible. You see it happen all throughout Christian history for the last 2,000 years. I know a lot of people think everything I just said sounds weird, but like it's a Christian tradition. It's I like to call it dreamscaping because that sounds super cool. But throughout history, it's just been called imaginative prayer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prayerful practice that the church has always practiced, all the way back to the prophets. Anyways, what I've seen the Holy Spirit reveal to people in these moments has been like incredible. You just see people weeping as, as God meets with them in imaginative prayer. And I remember one time... Um, I was working with someone who had this like horrible repressed memory that was starting to come out. And we had been through a few repressed memories already, but this one was like real bad. And just the weirdest thing happened. They fell asleep. And then it was as though they relayed a message from the Holy Spirit in their sleep or the Holy Spirit was speaking through them as they sleep. I don't know. You don't have to believe it. It's my story. Uh, but... They just relayed this information to me. You cannot meet with me in that space while you are working through this memory. They will confuse my goodness. Now I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact words. I think I recorded a voice memo of it because I could tell it was coming. But you cannot visualize me while you go through this particular repressed memory. Because if they see this repressed memory, and at the same time they're focused on the face of Jesus, they're going to get super confused between the super dark stuff and the super bright stuff that is Jesus. 
and Jesus is suddenly going to get muddled in the mix of that. Now, I knew this person very well, and I was like, Pfft. I mean, I know God has ultimate wisdom, but come on, God, this person loves you. They're never going to judge your goodness. But God knows better. And then they woke up, and they're looking at me as I'm like, uh, hey. <laughs> so I guess we're not going to do any more imaginative prayer for a little bit, any more dreamscaping. But just to make sure that what I think just happened happened, can I have you just close your eyes really quick and go back to Jesus in imaginative prayer? They closed their eyes, they got an instant headache, and they almost threw up. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, never mind, never mind. We won't do that anymore. And then we had to spend several months getting this horrible repressed memory back before we could cast these demons out before we could see healing over that memory. And then, suddenly, their imaginative prayer space came back to life again after that. There were several other times where we tried where it was just like grayed out. It was black and white. Nothing would work. Nothing could be interacted with. But one day, God brought it back because he knew, okay, we've worked through that really dark stuff. Now we can get our minds back on track that I am a good God and I do not belong with that dark stuff. You realize in that situation, like God cared about protecting his character from his child. I know what the view looks like from down below. It's confusing. There's dark stuff. There's evil. Do not confuse me. I don't belong there. I am good. I am not in the mix of that. I am something completely different, completely other. God wants your mind to be protected from that too. And it's hard once you give your mind over to thinking that God's not good because in those moments, it's, 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 you can shut your mind down pretty quick. In the case where I had... Um, a uh, leader that had turned against like believing that God was good like I had some rational good theological conversations with them to which every single statement was just completely turned down as complete gibberish as stupid and just like I didn't understand that God was was not good anymore or something like that I was like how you, you've completely turned your mind off to this. Like you can't even see the goodness of God in the passages where it's clear, like Jesus dying on a cross. You can't see Jesus dying on a cross to love us, jumping in front of the bullet that we should have taken. Like that, that no longer can even be communicated as God's goodness and love because your mind has been shut down so much. Like sure, there's a lot of confusing passages in the Bible where like I don't get this. And I think it's okay to challenge those. I think there's even some better answers that we can find when we challenge those. I think the Bible calls us to doubt it sometimes and to wrestle with it. Because when you wrestle with something, you come out the other side stronger. And the Bible validates that too. Now we should never wrestle so far that we like succumb to that wrestling. But in the wrestling, we are refined sometimes you can't really tell if you're a Christian until you face suffering 
You can't really tell that you care about this thing until it's been challenged. When you accept the prosperity gospel that everything's going to be completely good if you accept Jesus in your life and you're going to get lots of money and lots of wealth and all the kinds of things that you want, well, when you face the fact that that's not going to happen, now you have to say, do I still want Jesus? And if you can look at God and see him as good through the guise of Jesus, then you can start to say, yeah, that's good. That's a God who walks around and heals people even when his mental health is at stake. You know how tired Jesus was? You know how many crowds he healed when he was exhausted? John the Baptist died, his relative, his friend. Jesus wanted to get away from people and grieve, but he couldn't because crowds kept following him. So instead of, of grieving, he's, he fed 4,000 people. Have you ever dealt with 4,000 people when you wish that you had time to grieve? That's how much God loves you. That's how good God is. And then Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he was still exhausted. When he came down, he started walking across the water, and he saw that the disciples weren't getting anywhere. You know what the Bible says when he saw that? He tried to walk by them. <laughs> I see a Jesus that's just exhausted and tired. It's like, oh, they're caught in the wind. I don't think I can be around them yet. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> And yet they see him, and then he's like, oh, all right, okay, I'm getting in the boat. And then he gets in the boat, and the boat just magically ends up on shore immediately. Like, I don't know why he didn't just do that in the first place. But like you see Jesus as exhausted and tired, and yet the goodness of God in him still heals people, loves people, spends time with people. That when those who weren't supposed to be touched come up to him, he touches them. That those who are belittled by society, he goes over to them and he acknowledges them and he raises them up. His will is to love them. His desire is to, obedient to God, be obedient to God, even if it means emptying himself out of his godhood abilities and being crucified on a cross. Even if it means becoming as low as a slave to serve you, he will do it. That is a good, good God. And when you focus on the Gospels, the rest of the Scriptures start to make sense in Jesus rather than the other way around. It's a Christocentric hermeneutic. Everybody say Christocentric hermeneutic. <laughs> a hermeneutic in theology is a rule that you follow to understand Scripture better. And when your center is on Christ, then you are being following a rule of centering on Christ. Christocentric hermeneutic. Or sometimes better said as like red letter Christianity. I put my focus on Jesus' words and I let the rest of scripture make sense in him. Because when I see Jesus, I've seen the Father. There is no clearer revelation of who God is and his goodness than Jesus. And when you open your Bible, there's no clearer revelation throughout the whole thing of what God is like than right there in the middle. I'm not saying the rest isn't scripture. Of course it is. I'm not saying the rest doesn't have authority. Of course it does. But Jesus is like the code that makes sense of the rest of it. If you don't understand Jesus, then you won't understand the Old Testament or what happens after him. If you don't live like Jesus, 
then you're going to find yourself falling into some less perfect understandings of who God is in the rest of the scriptures because you didn't start with God himself. And the Holy Spirit will help you figure that out as you read your book. That's exactly what Jesus did. After he was resurrected, he walked with some people on the road to Emmaus, and he looked at them, and he said, don't you guys know the law and the prophets? And he started to explain where he existed and what he had done on the cross through all the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets could not be understood clearly until it was grounded in Jesus. And if you don't read your Bible with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, you're going to come away with some really dark stuff. I know I have. God is good. He can't be anything else. And if you think he's not good, he understands why you struggle. Just like he understood my friend. Just as he understood how they would struggle looking at something so evil and good at the same time. They would end up muddling Jesus' identity. Instead of him remaining good, he would have been forced into the dark memory and had become darker looking himself. But he is good. He is separate from all that. He understands why you struggle when you look at the darkness. But that doesn't make him different. So turn your eyes on him to see him as he is. Jesus, we come before you and we admit it is hard. We look around us and we see death. We look around us and we see fighting. Around the world right now, we've got wars in other countries that have been waged for a long time. And we have new wars in which two different genocides are fighting each other at the same time. The world is going through incredible darkness. In our own community, we can see the opioid epidemic. We can see uh, ambulances driving by our houses every few hours. We can hear the gunshots in our streets. God, there's a lot of stuff that we're facing in our world. And the view down below sometimes causes us to look up to heaven and say, maybe God's not good. Well, that's not true. Because truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And he shows us time and time again, God is good. Help us lean into that. Help us live into that. And when we face our next suffering and struggle, may we in that moment remember, even though I may not understand right now, I have to remember God is good. So we give ourselves to you. And we ask that we would image you better every day as we walk toward the resurrection where we will image you perfectly. May we become more and more sanctified, more and more holy, that people would see your goodness in us and through our good works. In Jesus' name, amen.